This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting, and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 229, and I am joined by registered dietitian Marie Pere Pitt Diorio. And she is here answering lots of your questions on how to find food freedom. You don't want to miss this one as we talk about why giving yourself permission with food isn't always enough, how to get past that place where you feel like you're eating things that don't make you feel good, how to overcome the diet mentality and scarcity mindset, the importance of satiety, and so much more. If you still feel like you're struggling with like certain things as it relates to your relationship with food, you are going to learn so much from this episode. It's so good. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 229. I want to give a shout out to Holly Joy Joy, who left this review. I love Summer and this podcast. After going through many women-led podcasts, I found hers and stayed for the wisdom, the humor, the honesty, and the unapologetic truth-telling about bodies and eating. Because of this podcast and a few others, I have gained life-filling info on health at every size and advocating for people and all bodies, including mine. Thank you so much. I loved reading that. It really means a lot to me. You can leave a review for this show by going to I iTunes, search for Eat the Rules, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review. I would just be so thrilled if you took two minutes to do that. And it helps other people to find the information that you're learning here. You can also grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to the show. Subscribe to the show via iTunes or whatever platform you use. And don't forget that there are over 229 episodes of this podcast that you can now explore on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. This is the first podcast that I have recorded since having COVID, which was way worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so it, my son got it from daycare and every single kid in the daycare got it. And then every single parent got it. And we all had it pretty bad. And I would say that the worst part was that my son had it for, he was sick for like maybe 24 hours, maybe, maybe two days at the most, he was kind of not himself. And then he was bouncing off the walls. And that's when it started to hit myself and my husband really badly. And so I can see how maybe if you don't have kids and you can just lay in bed and get through it, you might be like, I feel really sick, but 
having a kid that is bouncing off the walls and you are feeling just like you've been hit by a truck is the worst possible combination ever. I have so much respect for anyone out there who has multiple children or who's a single parent who had to deal deal with this. And it hit me so hard. It's I still have a cough. I still don't have all my stamina back. And it's been two and a half weeks now at the time of this recording. And so it's just like, it took me out. I really hope I don't get it again. I know that's like not always possible, but it was just brutal. And I just need people to understand that (laughs) because this whole idea that it's just like a bad cold, I think maybe for some people you get really lucky, but no, (laughs) I would, I would say that is not the way it was. I've had really bad sicknesses before. I've been definitely been more sick before, but this one, like it was just the feeling in my lungs that was kind of scary. It was just really tight. I had like shooting pain in my lungs for a couple of days and I still have this really annoying cough. And, uh, yeah. So anyways, (laughs) just sharing that with you in case you didn't follow the saga when I was sharing it all on social media. But I'm feeling much better now. So that's good. And this is my first interview. And it's such a good one. I think you're going to love it. Marie Pierre is an anti-diet registered dietitian with a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and the founder of The Balanced Practice. She strives to provide evidence-based nutrition interventions to all of her clients and support them in their recovery journeys. Marie Pear is passionate about helping folks discover how to ditch diet culture and nourish their bodies without guilt, shame, or restrictions. She is the host of The Balanced Dietitian podcast, where she provides listeners with a different approach to nutrition. Marie Pear offers one-on-one counseling at The Balanced Practice, as well as an online group program to help folks heal their relationship with food and body. And she is bilingual in French and English and a fellow Canadian. Let's get started with the show. Hello, Marie-Pierre. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped to be here. I know. I'm so excited to have you here as well. I would love for you to just tell everyone a little bit about how you got into this work. Like what made you decide to become an anti-diet dietitian? Were you anti-diet before or was it something that you kind of came into after you had done your education? Yeah, for sure. I was definitely not anti-diet before. It took me a while. Like I think like all of us, when we grow up in diet culture, it's something that we have to learn eventually. Um, so for me, I guess, um, I didn't even know I wanted to be a dietitian either. Like that was like never on my path. I actually always kind of struggled with food in my body growing up. Um, I was a chubby kid growing up. I always like, I got teased around my body. I felt uncomfortable in my body. I was never like implicitly told anything by my family, but like I saw my mom and my aunts diet over and over and over again. So at 13 years old is when I start to like be like, okay, I need to change my food. Like as soon as I got into like seventh grade, I'm like, okay, something needs to change. Like I need to change. And luckily in one way, like I got into sports, so I was playing a lot. So I was like, well, cool. I can eat whatever I want because I'm playing and I'm doing all of these things. Um, but getting into university, my relationship to food and body just got ickier and ickier. So I actually started in psychology because I was very always interested in like the mind and why we do what we do. I come from a very big family, like we're eight at home, like eight siblings. So for me, that psychological part was super, super important. Um, But after my first degree, I developed an eating disorder. So my relationship to food just kept getting worse. And I left an abusive relationship. And at that point, I just completely blamed my body for everything. So I got on this mission to change my body. And I was like, I'm going to do everything that I can to change my body, diets, movement, 
all of it, probably tried every diet out there ever. Um, but that led me to actually develop an eating disorder. Um, I was extremely fortunate in the fact that it was diagnosed really, really fast. Um, and I was able to get help. And I know that's not the case for everyone. I know access to care um, in eating disorder world is not it's not the best something we're working on. Um, but I got really fortunate to be able to access care. And from that point, I was like, I am so interested in nutrition and more importantly, bridging the gap between nutrition and psychology. Because at that point in my own recovery, I'm like, why aren't people not talking about the two together? Like when I saw my dietitian, she wouldn't really talk to me about how I felt about food or how I was coping by binging, but it was more about the food and same thing with my psychologist. So I went back to school to become a registered dietitian at that time which was good, but my program was very weight centric. We didn't really learn about anti-diet stuff. It was very, very diet driven. Um, and even at that point, I think my like disordered relationship was still there. Cause like in my back of my mind, I'm like, I'm going to become a dietitian. So I know exactly how to eat to like, yes. finally, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to crack the code and this is what I'm going to do. Um, but that's ex- not exactly what happened. <laughs> So once I actually graduated and started to do work, um, started to work with people, I started to see that um, for me, like weight centric approach just wasn't working. Like it wasn't working for me, like after having an eating disorder, my relationship to food was still kind of icky. Like as soon as I tried to have rules, as soon as I tried to diet again, if I tried to lose weight, I would always go the other way. Like my binge eating tendencies were still very, very strong, um, which got me to start looking into anti-diet and intuitive eating work. And I have never looked back since then. Um, From that point, I really, really got like knee deep into the literature and understanding diet culture and where it comes from and the intuitive eating aspect of it and where that comes from as well. So then I can practice that way. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And I imagine that it's just been like so much more rewarding for you to be able to be in this space than where you initially kind of were going to go, <laughs> which I totally understand because I wasn't, I went back to school to become a nutritionist at one point because I was, same thing. I was like, I'll be able to figure it all out. And then you just kind of get more disorder through the education system, which is really unfortunate. It's yeah, it's not easy, I think, like, because this healthcare system is so entrenched in diet culture, too. And like, I remember one class that we had where they like measured us in front of the class and we're like, you are obese, you are overweight, you are normal weight. And I'm like, like, no, (laughs) this is so bad. Yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. So when I was looking at, you know, getting ready for this podcast, I was looking at your your social media page. And one of your you're really good at reels, by the way, I was like, I wish I was this good. Um, but <laughs> but one of the reels that really popped out to me was something that where you were talking about, like, it's, you know, why giving yourself permission to eat all the foods isn't isn't really enough to have a good relationship with food. Because I think a lot of people sort of go into this intuitive eating and they and they're just like, okay, just, you know, eat, anything, everything all the time, but they're still really struggling. So I'm curious to know, you know, why, why that is and, and, you know, what you sort of like suggest. Let's talk about why that is first and then we'll, we'll go from there. For sure. For sure. So I think there's different reasons. First and foremost, I would say like, it's not bad advice, like us giving ourselves permission. Like, yes, we do need to do that. But it is just like, like I said, like not enough to actually do the work because just having permission doesn't actually heal the relationship with food. And for a lot of us, what happens, and I was in this limbo for years, is that, okay, you're like, okay, I get it. Diets don't work. I don't want to restrict anymore. You take all of that out, but then we can kind of stay stuck in this limbo of like, okay, I don't have restrictions per se, 
but I don't feel good with food. Like I still lose control or I binge eat or I just eat whatever. Cause now I'm having like aversions to like vegetables. Cause I had to like eat them for years, you know, like, so we get into this space that is still kind of icky where I'm like, I don't actually have restrictions, but it's also not food freedom. Like it does not feel good. Um, and part of that is just when we hyper-focus on behavior, like allowing ourselves to eat or to not restrict is a behavior, which is great, but behaviors stem from something, right? Like oftentimes, like for example, are wanting to diet. We didn't just wake up one day wanting, like, I want to do the behavior of dieting, right? It typically doesn't happen that way. Oftentimes what happens is that we have different beliefs and thoughts and emotion that will lead to that behavior. So the belief can be, my body is not good enough. My body is too big. Um, Big bodies are not good bodies or thinner bodies are better bodies, which will lead to a thought of, I need to change my body to be successful, to be loved, to have the things that I want to have, to be happy, to be confident. All of the things will lead to an emotion of distress of like, well, if my body doesn't change, I will never reach my goals. Like very, a lot of emotions can lie there, which then leads to behavior. So on the reverse side of things, when we're leaving diet culture and when we're wanting to have better relationship with food, we also cannot just address the behavior of, oh, now I allow myself to eat. Although this is important, we also need to go look at the emotions, the thoughts, the beliefs that kind of stem at the bottom there, that kind of led to those disordered eating tendencies first. And then we're able to really have that true, like, cool, I have permission and I also feel very good with it. And then the second thing I was going to say is also that diets don't teach us how to nourish ourselves. Like diets teach us how to restrict. They teach you how to follow a plan. They teach you how to count, how to track, but they don't actually teach you how to nourish yourself. So if when we just like let go of diets, like we may still not know or not have that like intuition or that trust, because a lot of time we kind of break that trust with ourselves to be able to nourish ourselves in a way that feels good, right? Like I know for me, I had to kind of like reteach myself like, okay, what does my body need? What's my strong nutrition foundation? And like, what do I like? How does my body feel when I'm hungry and when I'm, when I'm full? And, you know, like all of these different pieces that like we need to revisit after we leave diet culture, because unfortunately we're not really taught to learn that. We're not really taught to trust ourselves and to learn how to, but just more how to follow something. So I think that of that work is there too, is kind of that that learning piece of like, cool, now that I like, this is not there. It doesn't mean that I eat chips and donuts all day. How do I find that balance for me? Like what feels good for me in that moment? Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, I mean, both of those things I think can be like so tricky for people, right? And so I think a lot of people want it to just be fixed, right? Like they fixed, which is not even like, a, you know, but that's what people want. But it's a terrible word to use because we don't need to be fixed. But what's your, when you kind of like work with people around that, what's sort of like your experience in terms of how long, how long does that really take for someone to kind of get to that place where they feel that sense of food freedom out of curiosity? Yeah, for every person, it's different. And I just want to say like, I empathize so much with that feeling of like, I just want it to be better, especially when you learn about diet culture. Like I remember for me, when I learned of like, wait, I don't need to shrink my body. Like my body's okay. I can do all these things. And I'm like, okay, I want to get better now. Like I spent so much time in diet culture. Like, let me like live now. <laughs> so I totally like get that feeling. Um, and I would say for every person, it's different. So I will say like, it's typically months. It's never like a week or two. It's typically months, but some people, we it may be like ongoing work that we do. So it's never like as like, I, I always see it as like the acute phase of where we're like doing a lot of the deep unlearning and all of these things that we do. 
But then there's kind of like that maintenance phase. Like I really believe that like our relationship with food in our body, it's not a like, like done and gone, you know, like I think it's something that we continue to work towards, like nurturing a good relationship with our body, like the same way that we would do with a partner and same thing with food of like, how do I feel in this moment? Like the goal with intuitive eating is that we no longer follow a plan, but we do need to check in and we do continue to do this work. So part of it is like continuously, <laughs> but it's just yes. not as hard as at the beginning. Right, right. Yeah. And I always like talk about how there's that sort of like messy middle phase where it feels because you sort of feel like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Like, am I ever gonna, you know, get to a point where I sort of, you know, feel like I'm able to, you know, eat foods that feel good for me and not be stressing about it all the time or feeling guilty and all that stuff. And it's, it's really tough. Yeah, it's really, really tough. And it's temporary. Yes, yes, very good. Yes, good reframe. So uh, what's your advice to someone who like really struggles with that diet voice? Like it's just so loud. They're really trying to kind of, you know, give themselves permission. But there's that that voice that's kind of saying like, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be eating that or you should be eating um, something different. What's your advice to someone who really kind of struggles with that really loud diet brain? Yeah, Ugh, again, so much compassion because it's hard. Like when our brain space is like so like used so much towards like those food thoughts all the time, like it's really, really heavy. I think the first thing I would say is like that bringing awareness, like the fact one that we're aware that it's a diet voice and you can label it diet voice, like kudos, like that's a pretty good step there. Like I think that's really, really cool. Um, but if we can bring the more that we can bring awareness to the voice itself, recognizing when that voice comes on. So we're able to create a little bit more space. So something, if we like play it out, let's say I'm about to go eat something and I have a voice of like, Oh my God, you shouldn't eat that. Um, the first thing would be like, okay, I'm having the thought that I shouldn't eat that. Like that's definitely a diet culture thought. And then we can take a moment and pause and be like, cool, what do I want to do now? Cause I think one piece that's really, really cool is that when we get to this space that like, we don't need to believe our thoughts, the thoughts that we have, the diet culture mentality, like the thing that's playing in the background doesn't need to lead our behaviors. So when we're able to come back and of like, wait, what do I want? No, this actually does feel good for me. So I can lean in the opposite way. So we do a lot of that at the beginning of what does a diet voice tell me? Can I lean the other way? Because it may still be there for a while, right? Like it makes sense. Like it's probably a voice that we're very familiar with, but the more that we can distance ourselves with it, doing reframes and then doing what we want to do anyways, like even if the voice is there, we still get to nourish ourselves the better that it is. Um, and then on top of that, what I would do is just like the additional, like deeper work of asking yourself, like, what's the story that we're telling ourselves? Oftentimes, again, when we have a thought, it's probably coming from something maybe deeper, right? Of, for example, like you shouldn't eat bread. Okay. What's the story am I telling myself about bread? Like what's coming up with this? It might be, well, bread will make you fat. Well, what story am I telling myself about gaining weight and being fat? Like, what is that for me? Because a lot of these thoughts may come from those like core, core beliefs that we have of, well, if I gain weight, my partner won't love me anymore. And that's a really hard belief to hold. So it makes a lot of sense that we continue to engage in diet culture. So if we can get back to that core belief of like, where did that story come from? So we can do that work. It does make it easier for the diet voice to slowly, like we turn down the volume on it and we're able to turn out our like self-compassionate voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's like, it, it 
it's like getting to so you're not just kind of standing there having an argument with your diet brain, you're able to kind of understand like why it's, you know, why it's why it's there, what it's really rooted in, because it is always rooted in, you know, like a deeper, you know, fear that we have, it's kind of trying to protect us in a way, um, or help us sort of like maintain some sense of control in what we would feel otherwise to be like a more chaotic scenario. And so, yeah, I love, I love that advice of like being able to kind of slow down and, and identify that, that the root of it, because it does become so much easier to be compassionate with ourselves when we can see, you know, the deeper, the deeper level to it, the deeper fear that's, that's there. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And I feel for me, it's like when you commit yourself to doing this work to heal, like the mantras that we always keep is like curiosity over judgment, like every day. So when we have those thoughts, like instead of judging yourself for having those thoughts or like, oh, I should be so much further along. Like, why am I still thinking blah, 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 blah. It's always a curiosity of like, oh, okay, what's coming up right now? Like, and we get to, to be curious with ourselves, which is pretty cool. Yes, yes. I Yeah, I love that too. So, you know, you kind of mentioned a little bit around like, you know, one of the things that we also need to do when we're giving ourselves permission is also think about really kind of like, you know, nourishing ourselves. One of the questions that I got from a listener was, quote, after giving up diets, I eat like a toddler. I worry if I just eat what I'm craving. It isn't good in the long term. So what's your advice when you hear something like this? Yeah. I always start with the same thing. Compassion, compassion. <laughs> this is hard. Um, and also let's try to take a sh- some shame away from it as well. Um, but what I would say is like, I think it's, it's a two level thing. So I think one, there is times where we are, and I call it the honeymoon phase. I think, I can't remember how you called it. You're like in the middle, yucky air, messy middle. Oh, the messy middle. The yeah. Messy middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we call it like that honeymoon of like, it's okay that for a period of time, you may crave foods that you maybe not have not allowed yourself for. Like I remember for me, it was like jujubes. Like I ate a lot of jujubes that first year when I let go of diets and that is okay. And we're doing it without shame. It makes sense that we're going to go crave those foods that we have not allowed ourselves to have. And on the opposite side, we may have an aversion to foods that we maybe were forcing ourselves to have. So allowing ourselves that space, again, knowing that this is temporary. It may not feel like that in a moment. Like I know there's a lot of thoughts around like, oh, I should be craving broccoli by now and I'm not. But allowing ourselves to grow through that phase of like, okay, what do I need in these moments? I would also pair that with having a nutrition foundation. And the reason that I say that is that if we... Like when we can, when we have all of these cravings and we eat these food, and if we're finding like, for example, you're like, well, I'm grazing all day. Like, I don't know what you mean by toddler. I'm assuming it's like grazing and little things of here and there in terms of our body and how our body works. Like we may never feel satisfied, which may make it harder for us to actually connect with our body too. So I think if we can bring that like psychological side of allowing those foods to fit, knowing it's temporary, knowing it's a honeymoon phase and that we get to have that and it will stabilize with the physical aspect of our body of like, okay, but we also want our body to feel safe, right? Because when we diet, our body doesn't really feel safe. So what that means is eating enough food frequently and trying to find some type of balance for you that we can still have at the beginning. That structure may not stay the same a year in intuitive eating. Like you may decide to eat differently. But I really believe that at the beginning of this journey, creating body safeness with food especially 
eating enough and like frequently enough is going to be really, really helpful because it's going to help you one, start to connect with your body, allow yourself to be able to tune into the hunger, to the satiety, and then all of those other foods can fit in as well. But we have a base that allows us to just feel a little bit more connected and like stable. So we're not kind of like, cool, I don't eat all day. And then I binge at night because then we can fall easily. And like a lot of my clients, that's where they fall into is that don't eat all day, binge at night. And then it continues that cycle. So creating that safeness first, I think can be really, really helpful as you're enjoying the rest of the foods too. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I'm curious because you use the word like nutrition foundation and you also use the word balance. So I think that like for some people that can kind of bring up a bit of like, oh, like, what does that look like? What does that mean? So do you have like some, so can you go a little more specific there of like what that would kind of look like for someone just out of curiosity? Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I will say like putting my dietitian, dietitian hat on, like for everybody, like that will look different. Like everybody has different needs, all of that good stuff. And, um, and we also want to be careful here that we're not taking this as a new diet. Like that's something that I'll work a lot with yes. my clients. Like when we have nutrition, anything that's like nutrition related at the beginning, like we need to do a lot of work. So our brain doesn't go to like, this is the end all be all. And I must do all of this because it's so easy to fall into that. But when we think of nutrition foundation, like an easy rule that we can follow at the beginning is like three meals every three hours and snack that as needed. So really what I think of that balance in terms of like, like I think about like nutrition foundation as a pyramid. The first level is enough. Like I need to make sure that I am eating enough calories and of energy. Um, and we often underestimate how much we need because again, diet culture tells us we don't need a lot of food, but we do need a lot of food. Our bodies are expensive. So making sure like, okay, I'm having my three meals and my snack is needed. Um, most people that will be two to three, depending on what we do, the work we do, all that stuff. Um, so that would be one. And then the second piece of that is then there, that balance. So balance would be I'm including carbohydrate, fats, protein, and like my color. So fruits and veg in my meals. So we want our meals to include all of the things. We don't want to leave out some nutrients out of our plate, right? So we're not cutting off carbs. We're not cutting off fat. We're not just eating proteins. We're eating all of the foods at all of our meals when we can. Now, this is general rule. If you're not able to do that all meals, it's okay because we're also human and your body will not, like nothing will, wrong will happen if a meal is not right. Like we're good. But if we strive for that, like, okay, three meals, three snacks, can I include like um, all, all of the food groups? That's a really good balance to start off. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Their product, AG1, is something that I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't have time to always eat a wide variety of foods. And with my son in daycare, I need my immune system to be functioning as best as it can. And AG1 saves me from taking multiple different supplements. With AG1, I can have one drink, and I know I'm giving my body its best chance at better immunity and energy. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's got a mild tropical taste and goes down easy. 
What I love is that for every purchase they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious foods to kids in need, including No Hungry Kid in the U.S. As well, they are a climate-neutral certified company. To make it easy for you, listeners, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging to tend to your health and arm your immune system in an easy and convenient way. Yeah, and I think so I think like, you know, that makes so much sense. And it's not like it means you have to eat like salmon, brown rice and broccoli. It's like that, like those three things can be in like mac and cheese with, you know, like some, I don't know, like fruit or whatever. Like it just, it doesn't have to be the way we've sort of been conditioned to see that. Like I think, cause all of us, like I immediately get this vision of like my plate or whatever, you know, or I don't know what it's called. I can't remember what, the, what they did in Canada. Right. But, and it's like, it doesn't have to be like that, but it's, like it can be, you know, like a sandwich, <laughs> like that's perfect. That has all of those things in it. So I think that's kind of, I, I'm, I'm assuming that's sort of what you're saying too. It's just oh, yeah. because people, I know, like, for, I know there's people gonna, you know, that are like, oh, that, that looks like my plate or whatever. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> you can include all those things and it can be delicious. <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank you for saying that. Like, I don't think I will ever, ever eat again, like chicken, broccoli and rice together in a meal because I'm like, (laughs) I cannot, I cannot do this anymore. But like, I I love the way that you say like, it can be anything like you can pick like the way that I tend to teach clients. It will be like, for example, like I love bagels in the morning. So I'll have a bagel. I'm like, cool. That's my carb. What am I having for fat and protein? And then you're like, what can I add? And like, so it's trying to focus on this piece of like adding and, but allowing those foods to fit. Like it doesn't need to look like your three macros on a plate, like Yes. Yes. No, 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 no. Well, all we want to try to do is like, can we spot those different foods? And again, it won't happen every day. Like this morning I had a bagel with, with butter and there wasn't a lot of protein and that's okay. Like my body is still fine today. Like we are still able to function. So it's just trying to like have that balance of the foods that nourish my body, which is the frequency of food with a combination of food, but also the flexibility of, and sometimes it doesn't happen. And that's okay. And I think that's the part that's really, really hard. It's holding both because we're very, it's very easy for us, especially ex dieters to be like, but the rule says I need to do it this way. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yes, totally. Totally. No, that's super, super helpful for people because I feel like that is missing from a lot of that kind of, you know, some of the books and stuff. It's just, and so people go and they're just, you know, eating the things that their body wants, which is really good, but they're, you know, they're struggling to really feel good. And I think that it's sometimes because there's not that like kind of like that foundation, like you said, and I think you can still totally eat the things you want and have the foundation and they don't have to be, you know, like they're not independent of, of one another and it doesn't have to be perfect. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. And it can look different at the beginning. Like I've had clients that like for the first six months, we don't focus on having all the things at the, at the meals. Cause for them, the honeymoon phase has to be the thing, has to be the focus. Like, I think that is also like personalized that like, it's okay if, and I want to say that because I don't want there to be shame if you're like, but I'm not able to focus on having all of the things. That's okay. Like if you can just focus on enough food first, like macros is the second step, right? Like 
enough food is first enough and frequently cool. If that's what you can do, that's what you can do. And that's perfect. And then we can move up to that, like the pyramid, but just so we don't have shame. Cause I know for me, it was very, very hard for me to engage in healthy eating behaviors at first. Cause I had such an aversion to it. And it was so hard for me to not fall into like diet mentality when I did that. So it's okay if for you, you're like, you know, that piece of honeymoon phase or that messy middle is longer. And we take more time here and we do more of the unlearning here. I think the piece that for me is really important is like, can we make sure we still eat though? And that we still eat frequently and that your body still feels yes. safe along the way. Cause that can make it harder when we're not in a space like that we are eating enough or eating in a way that makes us feel okay going through it. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I always bump up against people who maybe don't eat enough during the day because they're still, well, they're, they, it could just be a function of them being really busy. They don't have a lot of time or they're yeah. still kind of, you know, just not totally attuned to hunger and um, yeah. signals. And then later on, they're eating, you know, so much more to the point that they feel overly full. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. And it's, and it's like, yeah, it's that, that quantity is so like that really is like it makes such a huge difference when you just eat enough. Yeah. And I think it's hard because we're so taught that we need little food. Like the folks that I work with, they tell me their lunch and I'm like, that's like my snack. (laughs) I'm like, that's not enough food for a grown person. (laughs) But it's what we learn, right? Like we learn to do like, it's almost like almost a game of like, how little can I eat and still make it through the day? It was like, wait. And I think the, yeah. And I think like so much of that is too is influenced by like social media because like when I see people put, you know, like they're pl- like I remember I don't really follow a lot of people that p- I don't really follow anyone that posts food anymore unless it's like a chef or something but um but uh I remember back in like my dieting days when I would follow people and see like the plate and I was always like I eat like double the amount that they're eating like what's wrong with me and now I realize I'm like no what's wrong with them <laughs> or or they just we just have radically different needs because my body needs a lot more but I feel like that plays into it too is like you have these kind of visuals now that you're that you're comparing yourself against yeah which makes it super super hard like the what did i eat in a day videos oh (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) man man oh man yeah they should always have those disclaimers of our bodies are so different our needs are different and like it's one day in their week like we don't we never know we never know what people are doing behind the scenes Oh, and I'm sure people are like reducing it too, because they're like, oh, I don't want to seem like I eat too much. So I'm going to like put like what I eat, but like take half of it away or whatever. I don't know. That's probably what I would have done back in the day because I was embarrassed at how much I ate. But yeah, oh, I <laughs> so me like whenever I had a good meal, I was like, I'm going to post this meal, but let me not post when I'm going to McDonald's though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So just around like that kind of like scarcity mindset or that idea that like there, you know, there isn't enough food. um, I think we, you know, you've really kind of touched on like the physical aspect of it, like making sure that you're eating enough. But is there anything from like kind of like a more like mental or behavioral or psychological perspective, I should say that like would help would help someone sort of overcome that kind of scarcity mindset to help them know that, you know, like they can have that food anytime. Assume, you know, that's obviously a privilege in and of itself. But I'm curious to know if that you have anything around any advice around that. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, I see it as two parts. So I'm going to talk to the piece of like, I can have that food anytime. I think part of it will be some of the thought processes of just like repeating that to ourselves when you're having that food, like allowing yourself to have it and exposure. Like, I really, really believe that like, I mean, I can think all day long that I can have Oreos, but if I'm never allowing myself Oreos, like, do I actually have permission to eat Oreos? Like, 
So I think there's part of it that has to be like the thought process of I am allowed to eat all foods and then exposing yourself to it. And I do also believe in doing that in stages um, just because that's the person, like that's how my brain works really well. It's like, I'm not a very like all or nothing. Ugh, no, that's not true. I'm lying. I am all or nothing for a lot of things. But with that, <laughs> I feel like that process of step by step can be really helpful. So you don't need to allow all foods to fit all tomorrow if that feels too much for you. Like we we get to take it as slow as we ha- we can and like allowing yourself like, cool, I'm challenging these different foods, allowing them to come in. So I do think the thought process of I do get to have all of that comes in. And then also the piece of um, the exposure. I think the other part with that piece of allowing all foods is also kind of checking in with the fear of like, what is the, f- what, what fear do I have around allowing all foods to fit? Right? Like a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm scared of losing control. I'm scared of overeating. I'm scared of gaining weight. And then that's where the like mental piece works, right? Like that's where we do the mindset work around. We will regain control. Like there's such a big fear of losing control, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because one, we've probably lived it. Like you've probably had a time where you're like, I allowed myself for a period of time and I overdid it. Right. So we kind of learn, like, I can't trust myself. And same thing with diets, like diets teach us that we can't trust ourselves. Like they literally like here, are like little containers and that's all you can have today. Like there's a lot of things that happen in our life that made us believe that we can't trust our body and that we need to micromanage. So building that trust back is going to be really, really important. But then also checking in with the other fears that we have, you know, the piece with weight gain and body image is, is a huge one for a lot of people that we feel like we need to micromanage or else our body will gain weight forever and ever and ever and ever. And it's going to be the most horrible thing. So I think there's a lot of work that body, like body image and food freedom, like do go together in my perspective. I don't think you can do one without the other. So I really think that that piece is something to check in. And then on the yeah, other side, totally. yeah. Yeah. And on the other side of food scarcity, the other thing that I, I find often, I don't know if you've um, experienced that or, or if the folks you work with as well, it's almost that fear of like, I won't have enough. So I think a lot of people get into this piece of because we've dieted for so long, we almost sometimes have a fear of like, almost like we create our own food insecurity of like, there won't be enough. So when I have access to it, like I have to eat it. Um, A lot of my folks go through that. I know I've had, like, I, I used to be scared of being hungry at one point because I'm like, I can't control my hunger and that fear that comes in of like, oh, there won't be enough or I won't be able to. So something that we can do there as well, it's always having access to food if that is accessible to us. So bringing extra snacks with us and like always having something with us. So we don't have that fear of missing out with food. So we don't have that tendency of when it's available, I need to eat because we're, we've trained kind of a brain or body of like, this is your time of eating. And after it's done, like after you don't get anything until whatever. So allowing ourselves to kind of build that, like food is accessible. Like I have food around me. I get to eat when I'm hungry. Like I get to choose to lean into my hunger and listen to my body. And like, we, we need to redevelop that muscle. Cause for a lot of us, like we've turned it down. Like you were probably hungry and we're like, Nope, not going there. Cannot eat. So now we need to like rebuild that muscle of no, I do get to listen and I get to have it and I can trust myself along the way too. Yeah, that's so helpful. It's like, you got to carry snacks in your purse, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's so much snacks in my car and my purse, like everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I do for my child. So it's like, I got to do yeah. it for myself too. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the other questions I got, which I found like really interesting, and I, I really didn't know the answer to it. So I, I, I'm so curious to hear what you what you say to this. Someone wrote in and said, when it comes to trusting myself with food, I think my biggest issue is that I don't know when to stop. They say wait 20 minutes and you'll feel full. It usually takes my body an hour and then I feel overly full. 
I know this is like, you probably would need to see the whole picture of this individual, but I guess like, I, I guess, yeah. What, what would your advice be to this, this person? Like just kind of, and I, and I remember struggling this with this myself too. Like, and I, I felt overly full for almost two years after dinner because it just took me that long to like be able to kind of cue into my fullness. So maybe that's part of the answer, but well, I'd love to hear what your response is. Yeah. Um, so I'll give like broad picture. Cause yeah, it's true. It's hard to not know like this person individually. Um, but I right. think there's a few things like, again, I think the piece of like self-trust is really, really hard to get to at first. And the piece of satiety is hard, like feeling full, can be very hard for a lot of us to like check in on. Um, so I think there's a few things that I would say and things that we can start doing and checking in on. The first thing that I would say is like checking in like the rest of the day. Like, are you eating enough the rest of the day to be able to like check into your hunger at nighttime? Because if you are not eating enough throughout the day, it's going to be extremely hard to for you to check into your hunger and satiety at your next meal. It's going to be extremely easy for you to eat past point of satiety at those times, because now you have like primal hunger behind you. Like your body is probably pushing you to eat and probably not allowing a lot of the satiety hormones to get through because you did not eat enough throughout your day. So first things first, can you eat check in? Like, are we eating enough throughout the day before that meal? Or are we getting to that meal like over hungry because we haven't been nourished? Like that would be Number one. Number two, what I would say um, with satiety, it is harder. And I, I, I do agree with that. Um, and especially like, like I, I was the same, like I think dinner time and like distraction. So I would try to check in around like, are we eating? Like, are we able to be add a little bit of that mindfulness with the meal? Like, are we distracted do it during the meal? So it makes it harder for us to check in. Can we try to do that? Um, and then another thing that we can try, and this is, um, I will caution this with, um, this is not a way to restrict but something that we can do is when we are having our meal, we can check in at like 50%. Like when 50% of your plate is done, just do a check-in. How does my body feel? Does it feel any different than it felt at the beginning of the meal? How is my like eagerness to keep eating? When I look at my food, do I still like salivate when I think about it? Am I still tasting the food? And really doing a check-in that way. The goal of the check-in is not to stop and then not eat the rest of your meal, but just to start leaning into the sensation of what it feels like to start being full. And I know when we think of fullness, we often think of our stomach and we're like, okay, like, do I feel full? Do I feel pressure? And that can definitely be a good indication in terms of like pressure and like how your stomach feels. But for me, what I see the most is actually like my energy. Like I tend to kind of have a low before meals and I'm like, oh, okay. Like I feel a bit more energized and salivating. I'm like, Oh, when I think about food, I'm not salivating as much or I'm not as interested as the food that I used to be like half an hour ago. So those could be good check-ins. And then we can do the same at 75% and then at 100%. So that's one thing that I would do to start checking in. Now, if at like 75% and like this may take time, right? Like you may over like overeat. I don't want to use overeat. You may eat past point of satiety for a while and that's okay, but we're building those connections, which is really significant. And then when we get to, let's say you're at 75% you're like, I'm full, you know what? Like I'm actually good. I'm feeling it. I don't think I need more. I think I'm good. What's going to be super important here is that we can say like, okay, I'm done. I'm putting this away. 
But if I'm hungry in 15 minutes, I get to eat. If I'm hungry in 30 minutes, I get to eat. If I'm hungry in an hour, I get to eat again. What we don't want to do when we're doing this work is that you're like 75% and you're like, I'm done. Because what can happen, it's almost like FOMO that you're like, wait, am I actually done? What if I'm hungry later? Was I actually done this meal? Like, do I need more? Do I need less? Ah, And then it can start feeling like very overwhelming because you made that decision that you were done, but there's still food on your plate. And it's just kind of like, so what we want to do is like very like intentionally, like, I think I'm done now. Like I feel good in this moment, but I can always have more when I'm hungry. So if I do feel hungry, like at 8 PM, like I don't care, I will eat. We just want to create that safeness of like, it's not the end. I'll be all this meal. Like we get to stop, but you get to have more too. Cause sometimes what happens at dinner time is like a lot of us have been told like, you can't eat past 7 PM. So we're like eating all the foods that we can beforehand. And like, I'm going to eat more for my dinner just in case. Cause I won't allow myself to eat later. So we do want to check in with that as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So many, um, you said so many good things there, but yeah, people hold on to like those little sneaky rules, right? Like, and that can, we're not even conscious of it, I think. And so the having, having that. And, and then the other thing too, like, I do think it takes so long for you to really build that mind body connection of understanding what fullness feels like for you. And you mentioned satiety there, which I think is like, satiety is different than like f- physical fullness, right? Like how, how would you sort of differentiate those two things out of curiosity? The way that I see like, sati- like fullness is a symptom of satiety. Like satiety is like the over lacking, like the, the over, like the big title, I guess. I don't know how to say it. My English right now is like, yeah. the, so the over title. <laughs> Satiety. I got it. Okay, okay. I see it. Okay. Okay. And then from satiety, then we can have like fullness can be a symptom of it. Like right when we feel full, can be a sign of satiety, but like satisfaction also comes into satiety as well. Right. So like sometimes we can feel, we can feel full, but we're not satisfied. So then we may not have as much satiety. So satiety is like the overall, like I'm done with my meal and fullness is part of it. Like we want to feel to a place where we're comfortably full, not maybe over full, but we also want to feel satisfied with the meal as well. So that's where those two pieces come in. Yeah. And satisfaction is built on like making sure you're eating the things you want to like that they're tasty that there you actually want to be eating them is that right is that how like you would kind of go yeah, after that I see it in two ways so most of the time like I would say like 90% of the time like enjoying your food is a big like I'm very big on enjoying my food I'm like me settling for something I don't like to eat like almost never happens like I love food too much to settle for things I don't love so yes satisfaction will come from that so it can come from like the um like the foods that you eat the textures like the the temperature of it like the experience of the meal but the second part is the experience of the meal i kind of give it in but it sometimes it's not the food like for example i went to my grandparents and they made something that i really really don't like and i was like uh no but what i tried to focus on instead is like the satisfaction of the meal experience so even if the food itself may not bring satisfaction because i mean most of us don't always eat all of the foods that we love like that happens, we can focus on the satisfaction of the meal experience of like, I'm connecting with them. I'm laughing with them. I'm enjoying a food that you've made. And like really focusing on those pieces can also add to the satisfaction level. So it doesn't just need to come from the food. We can focus on the experience too. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like, I think sometimes people kind of feel bored. Like I I've noticed, I've, no, I've, he- I've heard this so many times from people, like after they kind of heal their relationship with food, like it starts to feel really easy, but they just like, don't even feel like eating anything anymore. Like it just kind of feels all sort of boring. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, it doesn't have to always be like 
the like the one meal that you want or taste amazing all the time like it can kind of just you know be about the experience and maybe the experience is just like you know having some time to yourself or whatever it is yeah yeah i know someone told me that too she's like the downside of intuitive eating is that food is not as like highly like yeah. crazy anymore whereas like before when you're a dieter like a lot of these foods are like highly palatable and you're like oh my god so much dopamine coming from it whereas like when you're intuitive eaters, you're like, cool, food is food, which is good. Yes. Also, some of us can be like, oh, <laughs> I miss yes. the donut used to taste like the best thing in the world. I know. I know. It's so true. It's so it's such a weird thing. It's so weird. But it is so true. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't even really like that food that I used to just, yeah. you know, inhale when I had access to it. So yeah, it's funny. I. Eh? <laughs> Well, this, I mean, this has been so amazing. I think people are going to learn so much from this. You've said so many good stuff, so many good things. I think this is going to be like immensely helpful for people. So where can people find more of you? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This was a really fun conversation. You can find me on Instagram. That's where I hang out like most of the time, arguably too much of my time, but that's where I'm at. So it's at the bounds dietitian. So the dot balance dot dietitian. Um, and you can follow me there. That's where I'm mostly at these days. Do you have a podcast? I also do have a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do have a podcast. It's called the balanced dietitian podcast. Um, so perfect. We shows on all of this stuff, uh, or weekly show, sorry, about all this stuff, anti-diet, food, body, mind, all of this good stuff. Amazing. Amazing. And then you work with people one-on-one and you have group program. Is yes, that right? exactly. So we do have, so here in Ottawa, Canada, so across Ontario, we do have a clinic for eating disorders. So we are five dietitians, two psychotherapists and a social worker. And all we do is eating disorder and outpatient. All we do, it's all, it's good hard work, but what we do is work with people with eating disorders across the province um, in virtual care. Um, so that's the one-on-one work we do. And then we also have um, online programs and membership for folks who are wanting to do the work with food. So wanting to have food freedom, work on the food, body, mind piece of things, and just really get to a space where we just feel better around food, feel empowered with food, just yeah, le- less diets and just a lot more like confidence around all of that. Yeah. And then did you have like a free something? <laughs> I'm remembering all the things that I, when I was setting up your show notes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we also do have a free webinar. When, when is this coming out? Uh, In May, the, towards the end of May. Okay. So by the end of May, we will have a free webinar. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have a free webinar as well that you can attend. Um, it's pre-recorded, so it's some a class that goes on live, but where we talk really about the piece of like how to leave guilt out the door when you're nourishing yourself. So we go through like the three common mistakes that people make. How do we go about it? Um, so you can sh- watch that as well. And then the podcast and the blog on our website too. Like if you want more free resources, you can go check that out as well. Amazing. I just wanted to make sure you plugged everything that oh, thank you. <laughs> I have I listed in the show notes. I'm honestly the worst at this. I'm like, uh... <laughs> You were just going to send people to Instagram. I was like, no, there's like six things here. <laughs> thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. This was great. I'm really excited for people to listen to it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Rock on.
I love that interview. I learned so much there. And I think that so many of you are going to benefit from that. I just know because I get people asking me these kinds of questions all the time. And although on a surface level, I feel like I can help people with food. I'm That's not my main primary area of expertise. It's definitely, you know, 100% body image and self-worth. That's where I go deep with people. And so I love it when I can have um, a dietitian or a nutritionist or someone else who's really skilled with food on the show to help people answer some of those questions because it can be like so confusing when you're trying to do this on your own. Uh, I'd love to know what you learned from this. You can send me a message and you can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 229. Thank you so much for being here. I will talk to you again soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.